Hi, everyone. It's great seeing you all. Uh, hope you are doing well and uh, are ready to eat as well. Uh, I hear a lot of, a lot of yummy food waiting for us. But right now is the uh, time for God's food. So I uh, hope you can enjoy this time as well. Uh, before we go into the time of the word, I'd like to take this time to uh, update uh, you all on the elder training and examination process. Uh, you know, we had a, our monthly session meeting uh, this past Friday, and the session was joined by uh, the elder candidates uh, as well as the women's ministry team you know, who gave an excellent update on the ministry. And at the conclusion of the meeting, you know, here uh, is the process that uh, we agreed upon uh, and will abide by uh, for the sake of the elder training and examination. Uh, thank you. So you can follow along on the screen, um, but uh, three things about the process. Uh, first is a timeline. Uh, we plan to finish the process by the middle of March 2024 uh, with the hope of presenting the, the elder candidates for election on April 28th, which will be the probably the last Sunday uh, before uh, finals week, uh, so so that the members who are uh, in college uh, may have chance to uh, cast their votes as well. Uh, second uh, is about the things we will do. <coughs> excuse me uh, for this process. Uh, there are five main things uh, that we will uh, abide by in order to be faithful to um, training and examining the candidates. Uh, first, you know, we're asking the candidates to attend uh, every session meeting uh, during this time. And for your reference, uh, you can find all the dates of the monthly session meetings on our public CLC calendar uh, on our website. Uh, second, uh, on December 10th, we will have a holiday get-together at Elder Kevin Vermeer's house. Uh, you know, him and uh, his wife, Teresa, opened up their house uh, for us to uh, get together and have a meal and have fellowship uh, with one another with the goal of um, getting to know each other better and uh, enjoy the time um, with one another. And the third one is that we uh, asked the candidates to attend the upcoming January Presbytery meeting, uh, which will be held in South Dakota. Uh, it will be held on the January uh, uh, 26th. Uh, it'll be a great opportunity for them to get to know the presbytery and the vice versa. And fourth, uh, you know, we're potentially planning for a joint sessions uh, with uh, Grace Covenant Church, uh, which is the church that Elder Kevin Vermeer is part of. And uh, they are in the process of examining their uh, candidates too for eldership. So it'd be a good opportunity for us to uh, you know, get to know them, that church, as well as you know, be trained up well together, but that's at the moment a potential. Uh, fifth one is that we will have monthly gatherings um, on these three dates, January 21st, February, February 11th, and March 3rd, um, that we would get together to fellowship, but you know, we'll use the time to have a dialogue on you know, various matters uh, pertaining to eldership. Uh, but uh, we'll also, um, you know, individually meet up uh, outside of these you know, meetings, scheduled meetings, if there's any needs uh, that arise. 
the last one, uh, probably next slide, uh, is the exam guidelines that we will uh, have in mind as we go through this process. Uh, that we uh, will, first of all, um, abide by uh, the scripture uh, guidelines for eldership uh, found in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and Titus 1, uh, 5 through 9. Uh, besides that, you know, we also uh, find useful uh, this PCA guidelines on how to discern uh, you know, characteristically healthy leaders, uh, which is shown above on the screen. Um, and lastly, um, we will also uh, utilize um, you know, the, the study guide that the candidates received during their uh, training class. Um, so these are the, the general guidelines that we will um, you know, subscribe to and um, you know, uphold as we uh, go through this process. And the stated clerk of the session, uh, Pastor Brandon Hahn, uh, typed up um, about this as well as other updates um, from the session meeting on Friday. And he will be uh, sharing that in the, uh, the upcoming newsletter, so you can be on the lookout for that. And uh, we'll also update you along the way as often as possible so that you are uh, informed and everybody knows what's going on you know, time to time. Uh, but feel free always to reach out to any of us if you have any, any questions uh, about this process. But I do want to say that I'm very thankful for the other candidates for you know, their commitment to this process. And I'm thankful for um, us, you know, the church, um, you know, for your patience um, as well as support um, for this process. And I encourage that, uh, that we all come together as a church um, in prayer and really lifting up uh, all this process and uh, what we are doing to the Lord during this time so that he will be honored and the church will be built up. So I want to share that. Um, and again, uh, please you know, ask any questions if you uh, have anything you want to address or uh, ask during this time. And with that said, let's go into the time of the word. We'll be looking at uh, Mark chapter 8, uh, verses 22 through 26. Uh, as you <clears throat> turn there, uh, I just want to say here that uh, today, uh, this passage will be the last day and a passage uh, that will be in the Gospel of Mark for the season, at least. Uh, because soon, it'll be a Christmas time, and uh, for Advent, uh, we'll have a short series uh, where, you know, we prepare our hearts for Christmas, you know, especially the meaning of incarnation uh, of Jesus on Christmas. Um, so uh, we'll put a pause on uh, Gospel of Mark. Um, it's been a great journey in this book, in this season, and I hope that we continue to grow deeper uh, as we go through the, the new series, in uh, probably in the book of Luke, but I'll update you on that. Uh, with that, let me read for us um, today's passage. Mark 8, 22 through 26. This is God's word. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man uh, back and, 
a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. This is God's word, which Jubayu has with me. Uh, let's come to the Lord together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this time. Thank you that you uh, love us. Um, in this way, that you instruct us, you um, speak to us, so that we will be uh, built up, not just uh, individually, but also uh, corporately as your body. Uh, God, Lord, we uh, lift up this time to you, uh, that you would um, use this time to uh, really address um, many things going on in our hearts, in our lives, uh, so that none of us uh, will gloss over what you have to say, but that we would gladly embrace your word. And for that task, uh, we ask for your Holy Spirit, uh, for we, uh, left to ourselves, uh, cannot possibly um, do what you call us to do. So we rely on you, and give me strength as I deliver your word. Uh, help me to worship you and give my heart to you uh, as the audience of one. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we got three points as usual uh, for you to follow along, and those are the provider of our eyes, uh, second, the author of, the, of, of our eyes, and the third, uh, the perfecter of our eyes. And uh, the, the title for uh, this message is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. First, the provider of our eyes. Verse 22, uh, it says, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Uh, you know, as usual, I think as we have gone through this book, you know, there's a pattern here. I think uh, as a good storyteller, Mark starts out with the, uh, you know, setting up the scene for us. And here's what's happening. Uh, we have to remi remind ourselves of what happened in the previous passage. Uh, if you remember, uh, Jesus and his disciples were uh, on a voyage. You know, they were sailing on the Sea of Galilee. And on the boat, Jesus was instructing uh, his disciples uh, when the disciples were unnecessarily worried about not uh, bringing enough bread. If you remember how that went. But now, in, in this passage, you know, we see that they have arrived in the town of Bethsaida, which is located in the northeast shore of the lake. And as he uh, went ashore, uh, he is encountering these people uh, who are bringing to him uh, their friend, who is a blind man. And they're asking him to heal him. So that's what happens. Verse 23. 
And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? I think this scene should give us a flashback of the time when you know, Jesus was healing a deaf and mute man uh, a few passages ago in chapter 7. Uh, just like there, uh, Jesus is using saliva to heal a person, except this time he's a little more radical. He is uh, spitting directly at his eyes. Whereas as in verse 7, he spat on his hand and then was a little more civil, but this time he's actually aiming at his eyes. Well, just as I explained last time, let me explain what's happening again so that there's no misunderstanding. Uh, this was a very acceptable convention of the time. You know, at the time, people believed that saliva of important people had some healing properties. So what's happening here is Jesus is basically meeting people where they are, you know, using their convention, their social norm, to communicate what he's doing with this blind man. And besides, think about it, the blind man cannot see. So, you know, Jesus has to use touch and other senses, like other physical materials, uh, in order to communicate to the blind man as well of what he's doing or what he's about to do. So that's what's happening here. And then jump to verse 25, we read, Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Just, just follow along with the story here. And just try to imagine yourself being there. It's an amazing scene, right? I mean, a blind man now sees. You can imagine people around him are going nuts right now. It's a miracle. And if you kind of feel with the blind man, it must be a joyous day. The person who could not see for a long time, possibly his entire life, is now seeing. And he's now no longer an outcast. He can be a part of community now. Jesus did an amazing thing. But there seems to be something deeper going on in this passage. Uh, we should go back to the story of just healing uh, the deaf and mute person again. Uh, just like there, here Mark is portraying Jesus as much more than just a mere uh, a miracle worker. And we know that because we know Mark is quoting something from the Old Testament here. So we go to Isaiah 35, 4 through 6. It says, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. In our passage in Mark, you know, Mark is using some you know, matching Greek words uh, coming from this Greek translation of Isaiah. 
So it's unmistakable that Mark is thinking of this prophecy from Isaiah when he tells the stories of you know, healing the, the deaf and mute man on the one hand and uh, the healing of the blind man on the other, back to back. It's not a coincidence. What Mark is therefore communicating to us is this, that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. You know, Isaiah at the time was envisioning the day uh, when you know, God would visit his people to redeem them and the signs of his visitation would be the, the physical miracles, such as uh, you know, healing the blind, deaf, and mute. And that's happening before our eyes right now. Jesus, therefore, is the God incarnate who has left his heavenly home to become fully human on earth to save sinners by going to the cross, dying, and rising again from the dead. He's the one. Now, what we see here is that as the creator God, Jesus has complete control over everything, especially the physical realm. You know, he is able to heal blindness, deafness, and muteness, and any other deformities and sicknesses. He touches, touches something and it, it's healed. Virus is gone. You know, deformity is gone. In other words, Jesus is able to provide all the physical things his creatures need to live to the fullest as humans, you know, made in the image of God. There is nothing impossible with this God-man, Jesus. And we are to depend on him, therefore, for everything that we need. He is God. He's the provider of all. Uh, for the next slide, there's a picture of um, a missionary named George Mueller. Uh, you know, he was a German missionary in England uh, in 1800s. Um, he was also the orphanage director there in, in that time period. You know, one day, uh, him and his 300 orphans in the orphanage were in the cafeteria for breakfast, but they had no food. But they went ahead, apparently, and, and they prayed a prayer of thanks for the food that wasn't there. But then, within a few minutes, a baker showed up with the three batches of bread. Apparently, he couldn't sleep the night before. So he baked the bread, thinking the orphanage could use it. And shortly afterwards, the town's milkman showed up with milk. Apparently, his cart had somehow broken down in front of the orphanage. And since he had no means to move the milk uh, you know, any further and didn't want to uh, spoil the milk, he brought it to the orphanage to offer it to the children. So all their needs were provided for in this, on this morning. Get this. God is the creator, sustainer, and owner of everything in the universe. It's an easy thing for him to work miracles because everything must obey his word. And being a good God, he listens to the prayers and needs of his people and he provides for them what they need. 
Now, the most logical thing in this reality is that his people must uh, pray about everything we need. You know, God is honored when we ask him because, you know, we would be acknowledging that he's the one in charge, he's, he's the one in control, and he's the one who is able to provide us with all that we need when we ask him. Conversely, you know, we would be dishonoring God if we do not ask him, but we try to achieve things and earn things, um, you know, with our own strength, what we need. And here, don't hear me say that, you know, that we should never uh, do anything to achieve things with our own strength, that all we have to do is just sit down and pray. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that the first thing that we have to do when there are needs um, in our lives is to pray. And by prayer, I'm not necessarily talking about the formal prayer, but simple uh, letting out of expression of needs to God and even mourn uh, when you're suffering, when, when you have needs. That is prayer, as legitimately as formal prayer, quote-unquote. Meaning, you know, when there are projects coming up at your job, you know, when there are exams coming up in school, when I'm stuck at, in traffic, you know, when I don't feel well, when I can't find my wallet or keys, is the first thing that we turn to our phone or Google, or do we turn to God? The first thing, what is it? I think a good litmus test it could be this. You know, the Thanksgiving holiday is upon us, and, you know, seasonally we are challenged to list all the things that we're thankful for. And if we have a hard time listing uh, a lot of things to be thankful for, one possibility is that in our lives, you know, we are so in control that we have been earning all that we have need, needed in our lives through our own ingenuity and planning. So to be really honest, I'm thanking myself, not God. And as we do that, uh, just to you know, give you a short disclaimer, um, when you're asking God to give us things we need, that's not prosperity gospel. It would be if those things that we ask for are the ends. But if the glory of God is our goal, and we're depending on God and his provision for everything, that's called humility, and that glorifies God. God loves it when we come to him for every need. as the first thing that we do. And we give thanks to God when we do receive what we ask for. The provider of our eyes. Second, the author of our eyes. What we see in this story, uh, there's something deeper going on. Uh, we just saw that Jesus is definitely in control of our physical realms, but we also see that he's in control of the spiritual as well. You know, when you read this story in its context, uh, I want you to see, uh, you know, I want you to discover something profound in this passage. So follow with me. Here, last week's passage, if you remember, you know, Jesus was rebuking the disciples 
for not having enough faith in him and, you know, or enough spiritual discernment. That was what was going on. And the words that he used uh, in, in his rebuke session, so to speak, was, having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear. Interesting there. And then, at that time, we were saying that Jesus was referring to Mark 4, which said this. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And we also said that, that uh, this passage was a quote from Isaiah 6, 9-10. So here's what's happening. You know, Mark is being extremely intentional when he sandwiches the passages about faith with, on the one hand, Jesus healing the blind or uh, deaf, and on the other, healing the blind. Meaning, Mark is masterfully portraying Jesus as the one who heals people's spiritual blindness and deafness. He wants us to see that. And when we get that, the immediate lesson that we uh, learn from what's happening in this passage is that everyone uh, is therefore spiritually blind until Jesus heals them. That we're all blind until the healer comes and opens our eyes. And we see right away in this passage how helpless that state is. So we look at again verse 20, uh, 22. It says, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged them to touch him. Here, this man, the blind man, is helpless, right? He can't go anywhere unless his friends bring him to the healer. Absolutely, he is helpless. And ultimately, he cannot ever heal himself. Likewise, everyone in our world is spiritually lost and cannot do anything spiritually worthwhile, let alone salvation. No one can heal themselves because we are all blind. And Ephesians 2 goes even further and calls everyone's condition uh, dead, that we are all dead in our trespasses. And dead people, as you may know, cannot choose, cannot achieve things, let alone salvation for themselves. The only way for such people um, to do anything for uh, their spiritual health is if the healer raises them up from the dead and opens their eyes to see and understand Jesus and his salvation. And that's exactly what Jesus does through the Holy Spirit. So we look at Ephesians 1, 17-18. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, 
having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. All blinds until Jesus opens our eyes. That's the only way. Go to the next slide. John Newton uh, was an English man who lived in the 1700s, and he was a notorious slave trader. Uh, not only was he part of this extremely immoral uh, business, but he was also known by others for his profanity, you know, for his materialism, and for his atheism, you know, by which he mocked his existence. He was so notorious that his friends you know, rebuked him about that. He would mock God. But then, in one of his voyages, he encountered a deadly storm, and in his alarm, he cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, because he was about to die. And it seems that God answered that prayer, and he miraculously saved Newton's ship and his life. And, and it also seems that God actually saved Newton's soul also, because after this incident, Newton was amazed by God's mercy uh, in saving him despite you know, his attitude and his you know, animosity towards him. And he came to believe in Christianity, you know, the very faith that he had despised. And later on, if you know the story, he abandoned the slave trade, became a pastor, and you know, worked for the abolition of slavery in the British Empire, which he contributed to the abolition um, in, in the empire later on. And during that time, he penned this very famous hymn, as you may know. It's called Amazing Grace. The first verse goes, you know, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. Everyone, like John Newton, we're all blind, you know, seeking after things that will never profit us. But those things drift us, drift us away, further and further away from God. But God, but God, in his mercy, opens people's eyes and, and leads them to see Jesus and have a life that leads to eternal life. Salvation belongs to God. No human being can achieve this. No human being can somehow open their own eyes. God, in his grace, pursues after his people and opens their eyes up so that they see Jesus. So I want to encourage us, uh, for those of us who might be joining us uh, at this point, uh, as an unbeliever, please know that you are welcome here, whoever you are. And I pray for you always because prayer is the most logical thing in light of the reality that God is the one who saves. And I hope that you continue to show up and uh, hear the word and the gospel. And I pray sincerely that God would open your eyes to taste the goodness of God and be saved.
And for those of us in this room, you know, who have any unbelieving friends or family that you want, you're praying for, the fact that God opens sinners' eyes, no matter how far they are, no matter how blind they are, it's hopeful, isn't it? That we can pray for our friends and family who might be so blind to God's truth. We're never to give up on praying for them because in due time and His ways and His timing, God may open their eyes and heal uh, their hearts. You know, I have a friend from seminary you know, who used to be very far from God and he would get into many legal troubles. And during that time, he told me that his parents would apparently kneel be, uh, outside the door whenever he comes home, and they would pray for him in tears every night. And God met him in a dramatic way when he was at the end of his rope. Um, he heard the word, and God changed his life forever just by hearing of God's word. This is a true story. And please never give up praying for those precious people in your life that you uh, want um, you know, them to encounter God and, and know the gospel. Never give up. The author of our eyes. Last and third, the perfecter of our eyes. Look with me, uh, these three verses. It says, he asked him, Jesus asked the blind man, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and then he heals. This is a very, very strange scene. If you have read through the Gospels and other books of the Bible, you don't see this. <laughs> Normally, Jesus never asks questions. He speaks, and that's done. People are healed. But here, after you know, him doing the healing gesture, uh, he asks a question. But what's more shocking here is that uh, the first healing gesture didn't fully heal the blind man. And to be sure, you know, the man kind of sees, you know, he sees moving objects he perceives to be humans, but things are so blurry. So Jesus does his healing gesture the second time, and then the full healing happens. What's happening here? It's a very perplexing passage until you put that in its context. It's all about context in the Bible. Uh, again, I want you to remember that Mark is not just telling this story as, you know, just being a miracle worker. No, it goes deeper than that. We said that Mark is telling this story uh, in order to illustrate, you know, Jesus healing people spiritually. And particularly, we just came out of a passage where uh, you know, Jesus is instructing his disciples who were struggling in their faith. So here's what's happening. 
Uh, again, in Mark 4, the disciples were called insiders, you know, who were given the inside knowledge of the kingdom of God. But there were outsiders, the unbelievers and Pharisees, right? So there were some distinctions here. So in that sense, at that moment, uh, unlike the outsiders, Jesus has opened their eyes spiritually. So the disciples are now able to see and understand the gospel. But then we came, come to realize throughout the gospel of Mark that they still cannot see perfectly. We see constantly um, the disciples not being able to perceive who Jesus is, and he, you know, Jesus rebukes them, and then he, they constantly fail over and over. They keep mistrusting Jesus. And we saw that in the, in the incidents of feeding of the 4,000, 5,000, over and over and over. And Jesus, in his patience, keeps instructing them all throughout. And if you know in church history, uh, we see the disciples finally getting the full, clear vision of who Jesus is and what the gospel is when, after Jesus is raised from the dead and the Holy Spirit comes. That's when the full, complete healing uh, happened. But even then, we see throughout church history that kept failing and failing because they're humans. And we would know, obviously, that when they got to heaven, that's when the perfection happened. Their vision, their whole uh, body and soul and character uh, would be restored and they would be in perfect relationship with Jesus. So the point is, this is a journey. The point is that Jesus gives believers when they are converted, when they put their faith in Jesus, you know, he gives them sight to understand, to believe, and to know. But because of the, the sins of their own and the sins of the world, their vision is faltered along the way until they get to heaven when the perfection happens. And during in-between time, Jesus walks with the believers through the Holy Spirit and he helps them understand him and the gospel better along the way and they would grow in their character along the way until the perfection comes. And when they get to heaven, after all this journey, they will see Jesus face to face with perfect vision, no more blurred vision. It'll be 2020. But again, until then, every believer has to know that they're in a journey. They're bound to fail, they're bound to falter. Uh, but during that time, Jesus is doing his work of progressively growing them and making their vision more and more clear. Uh, they have to know that, and they should keep keeping their eyes on Jesus through the word and prayer. That's their job. Knowing that this is a journey, they keep walking with Jesus. How? Through word and prayer, communing with him. And that's exactly what Hebrews 12.2 is talking about, where it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Founder, beginning, vision. Perfecter, him perfecting in heaven, of our faith. Who, for the joy that was set before him, 
endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, right hand of the throne of God. That is a reality if you're a disciple, if you're a believer. I'm sure I have this, uh, I've shared this story before, but if you go to the next slide, um, there's this lady named uh, Fanny Crosby. She was a very famous hymn writer in the 1800s, and she wrote over 9,000 hymns. I don't know if you might know uh, hymns like Blessed Assurance. I'll sing it for you, but uh, it's okay. Just Google it. And now the twist of his uh, or her accolades was that she was blind. As you can tell from the picture, she lost her sight as an infant. And here's a story from a devotional book. And here's how the story goes. Some people felt sorry for Fanny and a well-intentioned preacher told her, I think it's a great pity that the master, God, did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you. To that, she, re she replied, Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind? Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. Wow. And that is a good illustration of the reality for every disciple in this room and around the world. Just like her, believers can only see Jesus imperfectly, you know, in our faith through the dim eyes that we have in our hearts. But on that day, when we get to heaven, 2020, our faith will be sight, and we will see him, and we'll be glad. And until that day, when we see him face to face, we are told to keep our eyes, keep our spiritual eyes on Jesus, no matter how blurred they are right now. You know, hundreds of years ago, you know, Puritan pastors uh, would encourage their people to, get this, take 10 looks to Christ for every look they take to the, their inner spiritual condition. Let me say it again. Take 10 looks to Christ for every look they take to their inner spiritual condition. That's so helpful, you see, because life is hard. You know, Christian life is especially harder if you have experienced that. Through various trials, through different failures, through different discouragements, whenever those things happen, that the quote is saying that we're to look to Jesus, again, with a blurred vision, and yet Jesus, as we look to him, he's going to shower grace on us. And he'll let us know, he'll ensure us that our salvation in him is secure. We will never lose it. He has saved it for us. If you read through First Peter, he is guarding that treasure for us right now. We will never lose it. And he's reminding us to keep going and to keep growing until we get to the perfect vision 
and he is going to encourage us and empower us along the way. And that's how Christian life goes. There is always hope for Christians when you look at Jesus. Because he is the person of assurance. When we look at him, we see our life being secured in his hand. So turn your eyes upon Jesus and he will carry us home. Let's pray together.